You're listening to the Weekend Sports Buzz. Tell us your thoughts on the Oxmoor Fort Lincoln Buzz Line at 384-1450. Good morning, everybody. It's Mike Indolfo here from the Weekend Sports Buzz. We're live at Sully Saline down at 4th Street Live. We're having a little bit of a technical difficulty trying to get everything kind of worked out right now. But uh, in the meantime, we're here. I'm here with Jason Super. Jason, what's going on? Not much. Just uh, excited about a, a, a good Saturday morning show after three weeks off. Yeah. Well, we're just trying to, you know, get things kind of straight away here. We're uh, talking over our phones until we can kind of get everything figured out. And then uh, we'll get this show kind of rolling. Uh, it's been a three-week hiatus. I haven't done the show uh, for three weeks. And uh, it's been an interesting three weeks. I, I just I look back at the last three weeks, and, of course, Kentucky's had three games, even though they had the bye week because they played Thursday night. And, Louisville's had three games, suffering their first loss. And I go back, and I think the first game I missed was I was actually in Philadelphia, not for the Louisville-Temple game, but that's where I was the first weekend. There was a lot of Louisville fans on my flight uh, heading up to Philadelphia. And uh, Louisville goes and plays a really bad Temple team and can't score a touchdown in the second half. Yeah, I I guess the theme I would think of for both teams is lost opportunities. If you look at the Louisville, uh, tough, uh, really bad performance. Not just not a good performance against Temple. Um, pretty weak performance against Rutgers, and then a great chance to remain undefeated um, against Central Florida, being up 21 points. Let that slip away, especially with all the losses from top 10 ranked teams last week. Uh, when you when you talk about Kentucky, they had a couple of lost opportunities as well. They lost to South Carolina. I'm um, in a close game, and uh, as well as uh, this past game, this past Thursday night against Mississippi State, a lot of uh, lost opportunities to win the game. Um, so I think both schools, uh, the last three weeks have been nothing short of disappointing. Yeah, and Louisville, and, and just to kind of go with my point with Louisville, this is not this is just me observing Louisville. I'm not trying to be critical of Louisville, but you know, then they play the Thursday night game with Rutgers. The second week, that's the week that we uh, took the kids to Disney World, which was pretty awesome. Surprised the kids with a surprise trip to Disney World. Louisville uh, struggles against Rutgers. Wins by two touchdowns, but they're getting only scored seven points in the second half. Doesn't look very, uh, very good at all. And uh, they only get they get 4.4 yards of rush against Rutgers, but only 2.8 yards of rush with Dominic Brown and Michael Dyer. And Norris Perry is the guy who was really running the ball well for him. The other two guys really have been kind of ineffective. And so they don't look good there. And so then that leads us to the game against Central Florida. I'm hanging out the Friday uh, of the Central Florida game in the morning with our buddy Wes. We're working out in the morning at the at LAC and uh, hitting the elliptical really hard, doing what uh, my, my trainer calls the uh, morning death march. <laughs> and, uh, and you know, I'm having this conversation with Wes and just saying he's a huge Louisville supporter, as you know, a big Louisville fan. And I said, you know, you can't be – I know Louisville at that point was still undefeated because they hadn't played this before yet that night. And I said, you really can't be that excited about your football team. I mean, even though they're undefeated, you can't really judge them against the competition they've played. You've got to judge them more against the standard of play that you expect to see. And even though it's a long shot for them to have been playing in the national title game, it was still good. There's still a shot, and you still had to play for Teddy Tyson hopes, and they, they just weren't doing that. And then, of course, Wes kind of saying, well, you know, a win's a win, and I'm happy as long as we're undefeated. 
Well, then that whole standard, they couldn't live up to that standard. And ironically, they get off to a great start in the second half, which they've had trouble with the other games. And they do a lot of the things that they haven't been doing well in the, in the losses. And, they, uh, and then the defense lets them down. And then and South Florida comes right back in after a huge Sonoria's Perry uh, fumble, gets right back into the ball game, and, uh, and eventually takes the lead. And, of course, I, you know, Teddy Bridgewater, I think, at the end of that ball game, I think there's two things that, you know, I kind of look back at it. He probably would not have taken off run and run on that first down with 23 seconds left, and he ate up 10 seconds of the clock by just picking up 10 yards. But if he has 10 more seconds, he probably gets them in field goal range, and they got a chance at tying it to save their season. But then even after that, Louisville loses. I, I didn't see the emotion out of those players thinking that, hey, We've now effectively been totally eliminated from any kind of national championship contention. Our BCS hosts are hanging on by a thread. You, you basically have to cheer for Rutgers to win out. That's the only chance you have of making a BCS game. Well, that, that reaction to me, first of all, I didn't get to see this since the Florida game. I was in the uh, warm beaches of Mexico. But that reaction after the since Florida lost to me tells me that they – have either bought in or kind of believe what everybody around the country was, was saying that, you know, that, that even though they're a top 10 team, they don't have a legit chance at the title because of their schedule. You know, as players, you got to overcome that. You got to get excited each week to play. And with their schedule, you know, they're human. It, it's tough to get up for so, most of the teams they play. And I think that caught up to them. Uh, the other thing is, I know hearing it from some U of L fans, you know, you talked about the running game and Teddy and the offense. Uh, and really, in the defensive quarter game, there's a defense to let him down. But, you know, the offense kind of, uh, when it struggles, uh, a lot of UL fans are, are frustrated because of the conservative play calling and, and the insistence on running. And um, a lot of them want, want uh, UL offense coordinator to give Teddy the ball more. Well, and I think that's just not – I think that's kind of short side. They play a pro-style offense where they – are going to be very methodical. They're going to huddle up every down. They're going to go down, and they're going to be able to march the ball. I think you can't really change the way they play. And that's the way they played the past several years with Teddy, and they're not changing that. I agree. Um, and I think that's just the frustration coming out. And um, especially from a UL fan perspective, you're thinking these are teams that they should be handily with the talent they have coming back from last year. Um, you know, so they just – that's what they see. They see, you know, we should be blowing these teams out by 30, 40 points, and they blame it on conservative play calling. Yeah, and to me it's more of them just not being efficient with their offense. Yeah. So taking advantage, and I guess, the, and I don't have these stats in front of me. We don't have an internet connection right now, but yards per play, uh, you know, how many possessions, end up, how, what percentage of possessions end up in scores, those are the kind of things that they need to focus on and be disappointed with. Not necessarily the, the style of play that they have. On the flip side, Kentucky goes up against South Carolina on that first weekend, has a chance to tie it at the end of the game at South Carolina. And Clowney didn't play, uh, you know, but that's still a really good South Carolina team. And uh, Stoops put them in a, in a position to win. They had 301 yards of offense, 19 first downs. They were 5 for 11 on third down, and they beat South Carolina in the time of possession, which I thought was a really uh, really great game for Kentucky. Uh, then the week after that, they've got to go play Alabama. Now, everybody can look at that Alabama score, 
And I predicted at the beginning of the season, when Kentucky went through this four-game stretch of Louisville, Florida, South Carolina, and Alabama, that they weren't going to get blown out by anybody and they would scare somebody. Well, I definitely think they scared South Carolina. Definitely. And the score indicates that they got blown out by Alabama. So I might have missed that one because it was 48-7. to But at the same time, there's a lot of bright spots for Kentucky in the game. Zero zero at the end of the first quarter. They Alabama had not fumbled or was fumbling once every hundred and ninety six possessions. And Kentucky forced forced and they, this is this is not Alabama being lax, this is Kentucky's even forcing fumbles twice in the first quarter. And since the Texas A and M game, Alabama has given up sixteen points and Kentucky has seven of them. Only three teams all season have scored a touchdown against that Alabama defense. And Kentucky's one of them. Well, that just comes up the the juggernaut that Alabama is. So, you know, in a rebuilding year, um, first year coach, program's down. Uh, you got to get that effort against Alabama, even though the the score doesn't show it. You know, they held them scoreless in the first quarter, and of course they took over and wore out UK. But UK played tough, and that's one of the things I've, I'm still impressed with, even after Thursday night's losses. This team plays hard. Um, yes, they make a lot of mistakes. Yes, they their execution is left leaves a lot to be desired a lot, but they play with a lot of heart. They're not giving up, and even though the record doesn't show it, I see improvement in a lot of areas. Now, of course, quarterback play is a big concern with UK. It's not getting any better. Of course, Jalen Whitlow's injury doesn't help the situation because uh, he seemed to be they seem to have zeroed in on him as the starter and the man. Played well in South Carolina. Gets her second series in Alabama. Um, you know, they had a week off, couldn't get him back ready to play for, uh, for Mississippi State. Um, hopefully they can get him back for Alabama State and going forward. But, you know, it just seems like with that position, they can't catch a break. And you combine the uh, subpar play there with our inability to execute when it comes to catching balls on, on simple pass plays. Um, that's, that's where, you know, the frustration is for me. But otherwise, I, I like what I see out of UK. Uh, again, the record doesn't show it. I like what I see out of Mark Stoops. He's uh, he's not backing down. He's not making excuses. He's attacking it head on. And I think the team, um, they still seem enthusiastic and they still seem to believe it's going to turn around. And I, and I agree with that. I mean, I think even against Mississippi State, Willow comes in and gives them a huge spark. They're, they were down 11 and they get that huge nine-point swing. Then they get the onside kick with the uh, offside call, which was – very questionable. Could have gone either way. Could have gone either way. But you know what? I agree with what the commentator said during the game. We can't even put ourselves in that position on a, on a guy that's away from the play. And, uh, and Kentucky recovers that onside kick and is able to get any kind of momentum. They got a really good shot. And then, you know, they still um, missed some opportunities, missed a field goal. Um, you know, there's there's other things that were in that game that where they had chance. Now that was probably their best chance in SEC win, with a home game against Tennessee. But Tennessee looks like they're really kind of clicking and getting better. And then a road game against Vanderbilt, and maybe right now even the road game against Georgia because Georgia is so depleted. Uh, being your best chances at a win, and Missouri definitely doesn't look like it's a good shot. And of course, I mean everyone would expect for Kentucky to take care of business against Alabama State, and. Uh, we are. I think we're going to go ahead and take our first break. We're counting you down to Louisville kickoff or South Florida. We are uh, here at Sully Saloon, and we would love to have you all come stop by and interact with us. Louisville takes on South Florida at noon, 
and I'm sure they're looking for a, a big-time performance against Willie Taggart and uh, the South Florida Bulls. But we will be right back on the weekend sports bus. Welcome back to the Weekend Sports Buzz. Let us know what you think. Give us a call on the Oxmoor Fort Lincoln Buzz Line at 384-1450. Hey, Mikey Doppel, we're here. I love the music. All right, guys, it's Mike and Doffel. We are back here at Sully Saloon. Louisville kickoff coming up against South Florida at noon. I'm joined with Jason Stuber, as always, and uh, we're talking about the, the three-week hiatus that we were on. Jason, did you have a good time in Mexico? I had a great time in Mexico. Uh, ate too much, drank plenty, and um, just rejuvenated now. So I made a lot of friends, ready to get back to the bluegrass and see some, uh, some uh, good football here in the next couple weeks. Well, then let me, I'll give a quick story, I guess, about what we did with the kids for Disney World because it was pretty awesome. So, as most of you guys know, I travel quite a bit for basketball, and so I'm constantly going to the airport. And uh, the kids just thought they were taking me to the airport for a uh, regular recruiting trip, and uh, they dropped me off, and I left an Under Armour box in the uh, in the car. And then uh, my wife called and said, hey, you left this Under Armour box in the car. And I said, oh, I need you to bring it in. And then the kids brought it into me, and they opened it up, and they had they each had a Mickey Mouse stuffed animal and a t-shirt and there was a little note that said we're all getting on the plane we're all going to disney world and of course it kind of took a while for it to sink in my, my little girl who's nine who i always play practical jo- jokes on was uh didn't believe me at first I, she was kind of in shock and then when it all sunk in they got on the plane and then we had uh three great days at disney world got to do the halloween special and all that kind of stuff it was a lot of fun uh Louisville, though has not had a lot of fun especially in the last week since the central florida loss because it hadn't just been a Central Florida loss. Then it comes out that Shane Bohannon is suspended from the team indefinitely. Looks like there's an actual chance that Shane might not come back for the year. And then Rick Pitino goes to Owens Roll, does a book signing, and says, oh, Shane will be back sooner than you would think. So we had a four-day swing, basically, where it looked like Shane had no, very little chance of getting back on the team, if you believe what Pitino says. In this case, I did believe Pitino because it seems like the look in his face was different. You know, we, we're all used to him saying, oh, so-and-so's out with an injury, and it could be a long time, and then the guy comes back in two days. We're used to that stuff. But the look in his face was different. We thought that the university, and maybe the university is, the university and Tom Jerk were more involved this time. And I'm sitting here thinking that, okay, you know, this really could be true. Shane might be done for the year. And if Shane's done for the year, Louisville's national championship hopes are strongly diminished because they have no depth at that four and five possession. Well, I, I think you just hit the nail on the head. I, I did not believe uh, that Shane Behanna would ever be gone for the season. Um, you look at Patino's track record, and he he tends to um, tends to overstate things. Um, usually, guys out for six weeks ends up being two got suspended for indefinitely ends up being one game. So if you look at the track record there, I didn't really believe that Shane was gone for the year. Yes, it did seem more serious, and it does lead more uh, credence to the rumors that were going around the summer about some players being kicked off the team. Um, but if you look at the facts, they've, they've got 
a bunch of pieces back from a national championship run, back-to-back Final Fours, uh, as well as some good newcomers. They've got a legitimate shot at another national title. Winning is winning means everything. Um, unless he just totally did something unthinkable, Shane McHannon was going to be back. It didn't seem like he did something that irresistible, really strong one act. It seemed like from what we could gather from the press conferences, there was a collection of a lot of different little issues that Shane was, uh, I guess, guilty of and just really had trouble kind of with a maturity issue growing up and, and doing what he needed to do to be a successful college athlete. And I kind of hope that Patino knows that Shane, if Shane has a decent year, he's got a really good shot at getting drafted next year. And if Shane gets drafted next year, his maturity issues could really be something that could it could hurt him big time when he's handled lots of money and a lot of people are trying to get their hands on it. And he's got people coming up from all different directions and he's trying to handle this pro type schedule. And I'm hoping that this was kind of uh, the wake of call, almost of like what he did with Scott Pageant at UK and trying to get Scott on the right track, which obviously worked with Scott. And, uh, you know, but just trying to do it with Shane on a smaller scale. I, I don't know. I mean, I well, think he was looking out for Shane the person. Hannon, it's all in his head, and it's, it's a maturity thing. You know, he's got a legitimate shot at an NBA career. He could be a, a Chuck Hayes type player in the NBA. Um, but if you, if you compare him to Chuck Hayes, mentally, the maturity level is not even close. You can go back to his freshman year and some of the comments he would make about going undefeated. And, you know, it's obvious he still, got, he still has a lot of growing up to do. That said, he's, he's still just starting his junior year. Yeah, he's an upperclassman. You would expect more. But he's still, he's still a kid. Um, but he's got he's to get going uh, quickly because uh, the next year probably will determine whether he's going to make it and have a chance at the NBA. Um, let's face it, if he has a Chuck Hayes type career, that's a really good career. Yeah. He's more talented than Chuck Hayes, but definitely the maturity level. And then, of course, we had the situation with Chuck Hayes towards the end of his UK career where he didn't do anything wrong, I don't think, but found himself in a really precarious position with the uh, potential date rape allegation. And uh, but that, you that know, turned out to be nothing. A, a total uh, made-up story, that, that, you know. And previous to that incident, uh, there had been nothing, Chuck Hayes had never been implicated in anything negative. Um, where Shane, it's become a, um, it's become a, he's a repeated, uh, repeated offense type of guy, and so. Uh, it's become his pattern. But nothing big. Nothing big. Shane's never, I mean, let's not, this is not a bad kid. No, 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 but, but it accumulates over time and, and where it really matters is that stuff gets to the NBA. NBA wants, they want mature pros. You know, so they want guys who are going to take care of business. Speaking of made up stories, it seems like then there was this other story that just broke here at the end of the week with the potential extortion case of uh, Tom George, George based off of this guy in Alabama saying that Louisville was shaving points during the national championship run. Now, even as a Kentucky fan, that's a ridiculous statement. They could have had possibly the most efficient offense in college basketball in the tournament last year. And how they could even be, like, looking, just looking at them and saying that there was a potential of point shaving there is just completely absurd, in my opinion. I think it's not an issue. I, I, I don't, you know, I, I watched those games. I didn't see any evidence of that. Um, you know, Russ Smith struggled, but I, don't, I didn't see any evidence of him throwing anything. Um, and I don't even think he was one of the names implicated in 
central points here. I, mean, I think it was Siva and I, I, I really don't even know. I didn't really pay much attention to the story because I don't, I don't think there's any cre- uh, credence to it. But, you know, it's interesting that all, all these things happen in one week when you talk about the Clinton hurt, uh, Shane Bahannon, uh, the loss to Central Florida, and the point shaving story, which I think is a non-story, but is that the end of the yearly cardinal? Is this week the end of the yearly cardinal? Time will tell. Well, I would um, take a week. I would take a week like this past week to have a year like they did the previous year. True. I mean, I'm just saying. Uh, time will tell. I'm not saying it is, but it might be. Um, because in some UFL fans' uh, minds, the season or what they hoped it would be might be over. Uh, well, let's get on to the Clint Hurt situation and the UFL football. I mean. I don't think there's any way that you can't say now that the Louisville season is a disappointment. I mean, yes, you have an outside shot of still going to a BCS team, but more than likely you're going to be playing in the Russell Athletics Bowl in Orlando, Florida, on the same day as the UK UFL basketball game, so a lot of their fans. But, you know, against the number three team out of the ACC, which right now could be Virginia Tech, could be Miami, it could be Clemson, I mean, that's going to be a freaking great game. Uh-huh. Really, that bowl game, even though it doesn't have a sexy name, the Russell Athletics Bowl is not, you know, the bowl that everyone shoots for. But when you look at it as far as the quality of a bowl, that's a great matchup. Louisville versus one of the, you know, the ACC has proven itself to me to be the third best football conference in college football this year. I think and, the disappointment from the UL perspective, that would not be, compared to BCS, curve, yes. But if they're going to play in a good number three ACC team, it's still going to be a good bowl. The disappointment is having a player like Teddy Bridgewater and not not living up to the potential, especially with their schedule. That and and you know, for all intents and purposes, should be a BCS team with the schedule and the automatic birth from their conference. That's a disappointment. Um, this is not the way you want to send out Teddy Bridgewater and Devontae Parker. Yeah. And more than likely, you are saying goodbye to Teddy Bridgewater and Devontae Parker. I mean. Everybody knows that if they're projected to be in the first round, they need to go. If you're going to get first-round NFL money, you need to go. And uh, uh, it's football because uh, it's the beating you take in that, in that sport. Um, if you're a top 10 or even a first-rounder, maybe even the second-rounder you go because uh, your body only has so many snaps depending on what position you're playing um, in a physical, very physical game. So, Which is going to make their last two home games. In the middle of November, very interesting to see what kind of crowd we, they draw for those two home games. And, uh, and of course, I think the last, the last game, two games. I got the, the last two uh, home games. Don't they, did they play Cincinnati at home? Cincinnati. That's the last game the other year. That's a, yeah. I, no, I can't. I don't know off the top of my head. Yeah, this is where things with the, us not having internet access. I do know they have two more remaining remain home games. Connecticut, I think, might be one. Because then they lose the connected at Connecticut last year. I thought that might have been at home, but I could be uh, wrong. So, anyway, uh, you know what? I know for Houston and Memphis, that's who it is. Now that I do not play SMU as well? They do not play SMU. Okay. Houston and Memphis are the are the two home games in the middle of Houston's November. Houston's having a decent year. They seem to have a good yeah. offense. Memphis is terrible. Yeah. And, uh, and even this game today, uh, Willie Tiger got off to a terrible start. At South Florida, well, going 0-4 to start the year, and now he's got two wins in conference. So he's 2-0 in the AAC, but 0-4 outside the AAC. So, but uh, you know, they're not a game that Louisville can overlook today. 
But I think they need to really focus on playing against that standard, where they have a standard of level of play where they need to go out there and perform. They need to put all this Clint Hurt stuff behind them. They need to put the laws behind them. And they need to give a good old-fashioned butt-whooping, like the 21-point favorites that they are, and uh, really kind of, you know what, in some ways, as a Kentucky fan, I like seeing Willie Taggart lose a little bit. So I don't know if uh, who I'd be pulling for in the stand. Global season's pretty much over. I kind of like seeing Willie Taggart get shut up a little bit. So especially after how he was running his mouth last year with, uh, during the, his win over the Wildcats. Yeah, well, I think, just think about Louisville and thinking about the last two seasons. It, a lot of a lot of the expectations were, were based just off the Sugar Bowl win. Because if you look back at last season, they struggled. They didn't, they didn't blow out a lot of teams. They played a lot of close games. They lost a few teams they shouldn't have. Uh, and so maybe they are, we're seeing who they truly are, um, which is uh, the same team as last year except, you know, one more year older in experience with most of their, their uh, roster. Um, so, you know, maybe we're, maybe we're just seeing reality here. Well, let's take we're gonna take a break. I want to I want to talk about the Clint Hurt situation in the next statement. I want to talk more about Kentucky versus Mississippi State. We got the start of basketball season next week, basically. I mean, you're gonna have you're gonna see Kentucky, Louisville, IU, Bellarmine, you know, whoever you're Western Kentucky. They all have a, a game next week against someone other than themselves. So we got a whole lot of stuff to get to. The World Series is going on. The Reds hired a new manager. We'll touch on that a little bit. This is Mike Gandolfo, live at Sully Saloon. This is the Weekend Sports Buzz. Welcome back to the Weekend Sports Buzz. Let us know what you think. Give us a call on the Oxmoor Fort Lincoln Buzz Line at 384-1450. All right, we are back. We are back at Philly Saloon here uh, getting ready for full football game versus South Florida. Uh, this is Mike Andolfo, James Suber, 1450, the Sports Buzz. Uh, last week, we also had the unofficial, or actually, I guess, even though they've been practicing for a little while, we had the official start of a college basketball season with, uh, and of course, this is probably why I missed most of the little essential four games, because I was watching Midnight Madness. And I am not a huge, I've been to Midnight Madness before when I was a kid. I'm usually not a huge Midnight Madness. It's usually a lot of buildup for like a little bit of a splash. I would have to say that this was probably one of my favorite Midnight Madnesses of all time for Kentucky. And I loved Cal's speech. I loved seeing Anthony Davis and Darius Miller and John Wall in the crowd, the place going crazy. And then, usually when these guys scrimmage, it's a huge disappointment. And don't get me wrong, they weren't out there chilling and playing a whole bunch of defense. So they don't want to get my hurt. This is an exhibition type. They haven't even practiced defense yet according to Cal. Yeah, according to Cal, they haven't even practiced defense yet. You saw, I think, what's going to be the most athletic Kentucky basketball team I have ever seen. Well, the only comparison is not a We had Mercer and Anderson and McCarty and Walker and Silk and you name it. Uh, but this team, one through eight, maybe even one through nine, even compared to the 2012 team, you know, top to bottom is the most athletic team, you know, probably in history, if not, you know, the 96 team. So, uh, 
a lot of reasons to be excited for this for this team. Uh, you know, a lot of talk for the 40-0. I'm a Cat fan. I'm not a fan of that talk. I want them to lose one or two games because I think that just builds up more and more pressure as the season goes on. Um, but if that happened, I'd, be, I'd love it. don't think it's going to happen. Um, they got to play Michigan State right out of the gate, and that's a great coach team, a veteran team. And uh, But a lot of a lot of angles and things to talk about. They got a really tough con conference. I mean, Kentucky's got to go. They got to play Michigan State. They got to play Louisville, which is could be one, two, three. You know, can you know those are the yeah, top three teams are. in the country. They most you're And time. then you got uh, still North Carolina, who's ranked 11 and should be better this year. You got Providence. You got Baylor. You got uh, Boise State's supposed to be good. Boise State's going to be a decent non-conference game. Even like a team like Belmont. I mean, Baylor, the cupcakes are in Texas and Baylor in Texas. So they got a they got a road in this knockoff. You're going to be able to see who they are. And, and you know what? The SEC is a ton better than what it's been in the last couple of years. Florida's going to be really good. Tennessee's going to be good. And then, like I said, the one up and coming team that I see in the SEC is LSU. And uh, 40 no to me is is not the goal. I mean, 40 no the goal is for this team to win a national championship and to be there at the end and to get to Dallas and to get into the Final Four. Um, whether or not they have a hiccup during the year, there's really no no concern. I, I can't imagine that it'd be really difficult for a very young Kentucky team to go against a very veteran Florida, or a Michigan State team uh, on a neutral floor, but closer to Michigan than it is to Kentucky, and upset because I think I, I do think it would be an upset. Upset the Spartans uh, in the Champions Classic. I just don't really know if that's a real possibility. Now, if they were able to pull off that win who against who I think is the best X and O coach in the country, and we know Michigan State's going to be physical. You know they're going to play, they're going to bring it on defense. You know they're going to be an unbelievable rebounding team. And if Kentucky can score and answer the call against that Michigan State team, then watch out because then you do have a legitimate shot at them going 40-0. Uh, and there's don't I'm not saying Michigan State is definitely better than Loyal this year, but Michigan State at a neutral four early in the season is a much tougher game than Louisville at Rupp at the end of December. Um depends on if when if the hand's back or not by that point, which uh, if the usual time frame will be back after the second exhibition. My opinion is the key to UK season is the Harrison twins. Will, how will they deal with being coached and playing the way Cal wants them to play? They're used to going down the court, dribbling around, looking for each other, and making a move and scoring. Cal wants them to play a lot faster than they're used to playing. Um, the other thing is, how are they going to respond to adversity? Those two are pretty serious, and they tend to get they tend to get frustrated when with when they when they don't when they have a bad play or something doesn't goes their way. To me, they they almost pout a little bit. If, if they mature and get that part of their game fixed uh, mentally, then watch out. Because I think the rest of the players are going to be there. Um, Randall's a beast. Randall will play hard every possession. James Young is coming on. Marcus Lee uh, is, sounds like he's going to have a great role and going to fit in Even very Jared well. Even Willis looked great in yep. a blue and white game. Yeah, I mean, so, uh, um, to me, it's the Harrison Twins are the key. I want to throw out a team... But I think under the radar, it's not under the radar as far as a program, as far as being ranked, but as far as 
may be a contender and is a UK fan, I hate to say this, but Duke. And here's why. Duke is not big this year, but for the first time that I can remember, Duke is going to be extremely athletic. They're going to have a lot of smaller, quick players. Uh, coach K is a great coach uh, in, in terms of being able to have his teams play to what their talent level is. So watch out for Duke, in my opinion. Again, well, they're not going to be big, but they're going to be quick and more athletic than you're used to seeing Duke teams. Because usually when they lose in the tournament, it's because they, they run up against more athletic, stronger teams. To, teams. to that point, actually, when I was in Philadelphia, I went and saw the University of Penn practice at the Palestra. And uh, the reason I did that is because Jason Polycoff, who uh, coached in the Derby Classic my first year, uh, actually, I'm sorry, my second year, and uh, was Emil Jefferson's coach. Emil Jefferson chose Duke over Kentucky, and uh, Emil played in the Derby Classic. And uh, I was asking if he talked to Emil, and he, he said that Duke is looking to play Emil at the five so that they can put this crazy athletic team on the floor. And if you haven't seen SportsCenter yet, they show a uh, Duke alley from practice, the Simeon Olaje, which is just crazy. But then you've got him and Jabari Parker. I mean, they're just, they, they do have a lot of athletes on that team. And uh, it's, they're not necessarily very deep, uh, but they are a lot more athletic than they have been. Um, and, of course, Kansas is going to be the other team that's going to be kind of young like Kentucky and very athletic. I've heard a lot about their freshman center. Um, really being a lot more impressive than they, they thought he'd be. Joel and uh, Kansas, Joel yeah. yeah. And you combine that with, uh, of course, Wiggins and some of the returning players. You know, they had the number two class, I believe, behind Kentucky. Uh, Bill Self is a good coach, and so they're going to be right there as well. I think it's going to be exciting. There's a lot of good teams, great teams in college basketball this year, more so than the past several. So I think it's going to be really exciting, and I'm I'm really happy as a Kentucky fan that uh, – that they're one of those teams. Well, and I'll tell you, going back to the Kansas thing, supposedly, uh, Joel Embiid and Wayne Seltz are out playing Andrew Wiggins right now. And that's the, uh, the rumors that are driving me. Andrew Wiggins, yeah. There's no there's no argument that either him or Julius Randle is probably, and probably Wiggins is, is the greatest talent from raw natural ability. But, you know, Andrew Wiggins is a young freshman and, you know, it's going to take him a while to adjust, I think. Um, and Wayne Stone, if you all remember, back a couple of years ago, was one of Cal's top targets uh, as a young guard on Marilyn Noel's team at Tilton. And uh, Wayne Stone has turned into just this beast of a wing player that can really score in a lot of ways. He's a, he's an NBA talent. I mean, I'm telling you, that's, that's so he's the only kid that's back. Unless the con, unless con, I can't remember what his name is off the top of my head, uh, but uh, I got to see him play last year. He's a little sporadic. Uh, I, I look for Connor Frankham, the guy who played the Derby Classic, to get the opportunity to play a bunch of point guards, and uh, they could. And then they, of course, they still have Perry Ellis on that team too. And uh, for me, the question they're mark, have seven or eight guys that can play. The question mark with Wiggins is he seems to be a pretty shy kid. How's that going to translate to the expectations that people put on him as the number one overall talent, obviously? How's he going to adjust to that? Um, that's the key to Kansas. Well, I think, again, watching Wiggins, you're, you you watch Wiggins, and he's always puts forth a solid effort. 
And when you go out and you, it's not like he'll have that unbelievable moment of flash every, you know, every once in a while, but it's like seeing him go up for a rebound and how high he gets up, seeing how explosive his first step is, and he'll just make a very average finished play. He makes it look easy. It's almost like watching King Griffey Jr. play the outfield position. He, he made it look so easy that people thought he was lazy, but he was probably the best at taking his angles and was probably as athletic as anybody gets out there. So, you know, you see the best uh, natural talent in Anthony Davis in college. I mean, Anthony Davis was that type of player, made everything look easy. Um, Except he's probably more polished offensively than you. Talent oozing. I mean, both players, talent oozes out of them. Um, Yeah, so Kansas can be dangerous. Um, No doubt about that. They're a top. They're top five teams. They should be a top five team. They they could be, depending on the season progresses, they could could be number one. You know, so. Well, it's, you know. Like I said, I think there's seven or eight guys that can really go out there and play. You know, Western, Western Kentucky had them beat in that first round game. I mean, Western Kentucky can score it all. They've got a really well, they good beat Is that who Michigan knocked off, Kansas? In the uh, Elite Eight, I believe? Uh, or was it the Sweet 16? I think so. I think so. They had Michigan beat, you know. So, um, Michigan ended up going to the title game and playing Louisville pretty tough, uh, you know. Obviously, they lost. Who they lose? Macklemore and who else did they lose from that team last year? Kansas. Well, they lost. They lost. Uh, they lost a bunch of guys off that team. Perry Ellis, the point guard, the only guy coming back. It's kind of funny that Cal gets is the one that gets um, criticism really from the people who don't like the ones and dones, uh, including our man Billy Reed, who really comes down on him. But uh, Kansas is doing very similar things now, and then, and, then, and they got a really good ch- chance. Kansas has a really good chance the next year. Beating Cal in the recruiting shell yes. and having a better recruiting class. So uh, that's something else I would really like to get into and talk about because it looks like Kentucky's recruiting uh, is still at a very high level for next season, but it's not going to be well, what we've been used to. From what I've gathered from you and from others, other other schools are embracing the one and going like Cal has. So that's where you're seeing catch, people catching up. The other thing that's very interesting is. Uh, Kansas making the move to make put their midnight man into a league between Kentucky. Cal's not going to let that happen next year because uh, they they uh, Kelly Ubre Ubre went to that in and committed the next couple of days. Cal's not going to let that happen again. So there are other schools that are embracing kind of the Cal mentality of um, one and dones and being very creative in their recruiting. All right, our first hour is in the books. We're going to take a break. Uh, we will come back in the second hour. Still, we got a lot more to talk about basketball. I got to touch on a little baseball with the news in the Cincinnati Reds, and we got a football game that's getting ready to coach the kickoff here at noon. We are live at Sully and uh, getting ready for kickoff. The Cards and the Bulls here at noon. I'll talk to you later. Welcome back to the Weekend Sports Buzz. Let us know what you think. 
Give us a call on the Oxmoor Fort Lincoln Buzz Line at 384-1450. Welcome back. We are here at Sully Saloon and uh we got one more out of the show left. We were talking about college basketball, and actually college basketball gets underway tonight. The Indiana Hoosiers at 7 o'clock tonight take on a very good Division II opponent in Southern Indiana who uh, is always one of the top teams in Division II basketball, another GLVC team like Bellarmine, and it uh, should be a great game. Uh, Jeremy Hollowell, uh, his brother last year played for Southern Indiana, but I think he graduated, so... We could have had a matchup of two brothers going on that game, but I think his uh, older brother. Or you know what? Maybe that was Indianapolis. I'm not. I had to go back and check. But anyway, I used my went with uh, preseason injury, so I think Stanley Johnson, this the kid, Stanley Robinson, Stanley Robinson. Uh, I think he's hurt. He might be out a couple of weeks. Um, somebody else is uh, tweaked something and is out a couple of weeks. Um, so they're not going to be in full strength. But what? Uh, where do we see IU season going this year? IU's gonna, I think IU's going to struggle a little bit early because they got some young guys that are that are talented, but probably not as talented as what you're going to have in Lexington. But guys that by the end of the year could really have them as a solid team. I do think they're a top 25 team. I do think that Luke Fisher might be one of the best uh, steals of the recruiting season. Maybe a guy that was maybe a little... Un, you know, undervalued as a recruit and could come out and really and play well for them. They got some athleticism and Troy Williams uh, coming in. They got Stan Robinson, Noah Bonley, who is a an elite player down low. Uh, and then, you know, they still got Yogi and Will Sheehy, and those guys are going to be able to play. I mean, I, I believe uh, Tom Crane, Yogi, is much improved shooter this year and more, more, going to be more mature. Um, had a pretty good freshman year. Uh, they're going to have some good young talent, that's for sure. Um, so we'll see. You know, Crean has shown the ability to, to coach uh, young talent. Obviously, Cody Zeller could have been the number one pick coming out of, as a freshman. Had a great freshman year. So uh, he has shown a, an ability to coach first-year players. So um, they got some potential to be a, a good team by the end of the year. I agree, and you know, looking real quick at their kind of, of just their rundown of their schedule, um, they do have Washington at the uh, they play them up in New York, and they'll play either Boston College or UConn up in New York. Um, they play Syracuse in the AC, in the Big Ten ACC challenges challenge in, in Syracuse, which should be a pretty ah, interesting game. Syracuse Syracuse has a transfer from IU that wasn't happy about leaving. Well, it wasn't a transfer; it was Ron Patterson, who they called Buzz, did not qualify. At IU, and then had to go to a year of prep school. Uh, ended up going to uh, Brewster Academy, uh, which is where like Mitch McGarry went to uh, prep school. Uh, Samaj Christian, TJ Warren, and uh, uh, guys like Jakar Sampson. And um, there seems to be some bad blood there. Maybe well, maybe I'm misreading it, but Patterson, in his brief comments that I saw, maybe this past summer, or maybe it was towards the end of last year, he was. He was looking forward to playing IU the next year. Um, He's really close with those guys, the Hannah Pereira and Jeremy Howell and all those guys. And so I think uh, uh, you know, when those guys came after he didn't qualify, 
it's a weird situation, and, and I don't know all the particulars, but I think uh, there was a when he didn't qualify at IU, there wasn't much of a, an extension to really kind of help him out, get him back on track, and then that's what kind of led him going to Syracuse. Um, but yeah, Ron Patterson's up there against Syracuse, and then uh, the other games that they got in Indianapolis non-conference, they played Notre Dame, which should be a pretty good game. And then of course the Big Ten conference wise is going to be a really tough road. I mean, Michigan State's obviously really good. Michigan is still going to be very good. Wisconsin's the top point about team. Ohio State, uh, Illinois is going to be very much improved. So you're going to have a you know the Big Ten is is one of the top basketball conferences in the country for a reason, and uh, it's going to be. A tough road. Uh, other basketball we got going on this week. Tuesday night, Louisville also plays a GLBC opponent. They play uh, Kentucky Wesleyan, who is now coached by the former Georgetown College coach Kathy Osborne, who's going to get he's going to get players at Kentucky Wesleyan, and Kentucky Wesleyan is going to be a, a really good warm up for that Louisville team. Uh, another Division two opponent that's usually in the top twenty five. Uh, Kentucky then plays Friday. Kentucky's got their blue-white scrimmage on Tuesday night, and then they play Transylvania on Friday. And from what I heard, Transies, like, they lost a ton from last year. So this this could be a, just an absolute show that Kentucky puts on against Transy. Uh, he'll never show them up all the way, but, I mean, it, it should be a, a very good display of athletic ability. <laughs> uh, uh, I saw they play Northern Kentucky. Is Northern Kentucky a D1 team now? Northern Kentucky is out of Division one team. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, they, they used to be in Bellarmine's Conference. Right, correct? exactly. When they built that new arena, shortly after that, there was a moratorium at that time for teams going to Division Two, Division One. As soon as the moratorium was lifted, they went to Division One. They actually maybe might be in the same conference as that Florida Gulf Coast team. Okay. The, I think they're in the Atlantic Sun. I can't remember. Now, exactly. didn't they just have some controversy with their athletic director? Then they just had to fire their athletic director? You? Yeah. I'm not sure on that one. I think, I think so. There was uh, some... Extracurricular activity going on. Uh, so the guy that kind of um, took them, built them up to, to go D1 in basketball is, is no longer there. Um, what happened with Happy Osborne? Why did he make the switch to Kentucky Wesleyan? Happy actually left Georgetown to take a Division One job as an assistant, and it didn't work out. And then he was coach high school basketball last year, and then the Kentucky Wesleyan. And actually, the Kentucky Wesleyan position is the perfect fit for him. So it should be a really good. Uh, situation there in Kentucky Wesleyan. And, of course, the former Kentucky Wesleyan coach, Ray Harper, now the head coach of the Western Kentucky Hilltoppers, uh, they play, uh, they start on next Saturday, they have their exhibition game against Campbellsville, who's one of the top teams in AIA. Uh, first game for Western Kentucky, though, is a game in the uh, tip-off marathon against Wichita State. Wow. So that should be really exciting. They get to go play against. Uh, uh, isn't there a former game. Billy Gillespie recruit that played for Western and is no longer there? Vinny Zolo. What happened to Vinny? He let, I don't know why he left Western. I can tell you, but that's I think who you're talking about. So, uh, and then also that night, Bellman starts off their exhibition. Actually, not during the night, during the day, they play uh, the University of Cincinnati. Two o'clock on next Saturday, Bellman starts their season off. Now I bring that up mainly because I am a Bellman season ticket holder, and I. I went to Bellman, and that's kind of where uh, like Ian Patrick, who was the assistant at Bellman, kind of helped me get my start in basketball. And uh, I went on Monday to Bellman. They had a little reception for the season ticket holders, a brand-new night hall inside. They completely renovated it. It's not this dark, dingy place anymore. 
especially painted. They got rid of all the old seats, and there, there's brand new seats throughout the entire place. Back. They're all seat backs. They're actually cushioned seat backs. Uh, they, they, when I was talking to Ian Patrick at the event, they did a lot of the same modifications to try to model it after a little uh, Cameron Indoor Stadium. So it's, it's a lot of the stuff they did at Duke is what they did at Bellman. What's the capacity now? Uh, it, they lost four seats, and I can't remember. That's all they lost in the in the, in wow. the modification. And they got new AC. I don't know exactly what the what that is. I want to say it's like twenty four ninety six, but we'll have to ask Coach Davenport. Maybe we can what see what they have on. Cameron? It's small, but it's, I'm not sure how small it is. Yeah. It's real small. And then, uh, but Bellman, uh, it's now very well lit. They got brand new lights. It, it, definitely go out and check out Knights Hall this year. And if you haven't watched the Knights play basketball, they are a lot of fun to watch. Very fundamental basketball. And they got a huge pickup because Donnie Hale, who played in New Albany and then went to Purdue for a year, was a good player at Purdue, played like 14 minutes a game at Purdue, 6'9 player, uh, is leaving Purdue and coming to play, at the, play for the Knights wow. at semester break. And that's going to be a huge pickup for Coach Davenport, who also has a six foot nine Australian kid coming in. And that's really where they struggled last year was with some of their size. Uh, Jake Thale did an unbelievable job. He's kind of like their uh, Harrelson, if you will. He's their George, their version of George. He's got a lot of really good garbage points and just was really steady underneath. But, uh, Vance Hall. Does he throw as good a fastball as George does? I don't know if that. Yeah, probably not. He probably doesn't get the opportunity to throw out a first pitch at the Belvin Ice baseball game video like that. So. I'm talking about the fastball into. Uh, oh, uh, in the middle of Soldier's chest? That's right. That was my favorite. One of my favorite plays all That had to be 120 miles an hour. That was awesome. That was awesome. So, but the Belvin Knights definitely will you know, go out there and check out those guys. They play a really tough schedule in the GLEC. The game that would be a. Uh, uh, a game that would be fun to go see is if you can go see him play against the Kentucky Wesleyan or against the Southern Indiana. Uh, Drury comes to town, who's a who was a Final Four uh, team last year. So uh, it's a very fundamental brand of basketball, and it's still athletic and fast paced. So and you can be right there, you know, right on top of the action. So uh, next week, I'm hoping that we can kind of pull together a nice little college football pre uh, college basketball preview show. Uh, Louisville's off football-wise next week. Kentucky plays Alabama State. Not going to be a whole lot to talk about football-wise, but there will be, uh, you know, we're going to be right before uh, the basketball team start playing their first regular season games. So we'll try to get someone from Kentucky, Louisville, Indiana, Bellman, and Western Kentucky on the air to talk about the upcoming basketball season and uh, kind of preview what's going to be another great year in this area. I mean, it should be. Uh, last year, was preseason last year was supposed to be that. Uh, you can make an argument that uh, U of L and IU held their end of the bargain last year, although IU did have a disappointing finish. Um, but last year, I think all three teams are in the top five. Um, IU's not there this year, but they're still a top 25 they're still a top 25 team, and UK and U of L are still legit national title contenders. So um, this area is kind of. Uh, replaced Tobacco Road as the uh, king of, of college basketball uh, back, you know, what, like what it was in the 70s and 80s, um, which is good and exciting. And, you know, if, if you go by the NCAA uh, ratings uh, and TV and interest, this is where the interest is, you know, in, in, compared second to none. 
So you, you include not only the D1, but uh, the Bellarmines and the Kentucky Wesleyans and the Georgetown. Georgetowns and, and all Pikeville, the... Pikeville, I think, has yeah. a championship. I mean, great basketball around here, and um, happy to see it at the top D1 level be back to its rightful places as the uh, number one area for basketball. So very exciting. Yeah, it should be great, and I just uh, it should be a phenomenal year across the board at all levels, and uh, even the high school basketball in the state will be much improved over where it's been the last couple of years. You're going to have uh, Ballard's going to be very good, obviously with Quentin Snyder. You're going to have a very good Henry Clay team. You're going to have Roger Groves down at Concordia High School, and the in the mountains is pulling in all. He's pulled in three Canadians. One of them's getting recruited by UCLA. He he got a transfer out of uh, out of uh, Henry County uh, Henry Clay's point guard who uh, uh, Christian uh, Christian I can't believe I'm, I'm blanking on Christian's last name. He's a very good player. He played Louisville Magic uh, AU basketball. He's going to be like an Ivy League level Division One talent. Down in Concordia High School, Roger Rose might have three Division One guys playing on that team, and uh, you know that's a small All A school, and uh, Roger got that thing kind of moving in the right direction. It's just, there's a lot of little great basketball going to happen around here. And, uh, you know, hopefully now that football's starting to wind down, we can start to concentrate on that a little well, bit. Football's still at a halfway point, so we're not winding down winding yet. Down, and uh, for me, and I think this area, now that we've talked about college basketball, this area has made huge strides in its uh, interest in college football. So, um November and December are, are a very exciting months because of the, the crossover of football and basketball. Um, you're still not even at the halfway point, really, or just at the halfway, halfway point of the NFL. Um, got the World Series going, so we're right almost in the best year, uh, best time of the year for sports. We've only got a couple minutes left in the break. Let's talk about that real, real quick. The Reds obviously fired Dusty Baker as soon as the uh, season was over. And they just announced this week that Brian Price, who was the pitching coach on that team, is the new manager. Really only two candidates were considered. Brian Price, who is a very good pitching coach and loved by his players, is the guy who got the job. And then Jim Riggleman, who is obviously a kind of a managerial journeyman, uh, who was, was the manager of the Bats last year, was the other guy that got uh, former manager, Cubs manager. Former Cubs manager. And I'm glad they didn't go with Riggleman, to be honest with you. But I'm kind of upset that they didn't give any consideration to the former Bats manager, Rick Sweet, who has won a championship with half that roster. And those guys seem to love that guy. And I just uh, think that that could have been a nice change of pace to kind of give them a chance at going to the next level. The other big news in Cincinnati is it looks like the Reds are going to shop Brandon Phillips. They might trade who I think is the most important player on that roster, and the reason I say that, I know Joey Votto is the one who's won the MVP award. Joey Votto does not show up when the game matters. And Brandon Phillips is the guy who is, I think he was sixth in Major League Baseball last year with runners in scoring position for a bag average of runners in scoring position. This is the guy who's a gold glove level defensive player. He's one of the best hitting second baseman in baseball all time. And now they're looking to get rid of him. And, man, some of the trades I'm seeing that are thrown out there are just ridiculous. And so it's going to be interesting to me to see what this thing does in this offseason and to try to get them to that next level. I don't feel like getting rid of Brandon Phillips is going to get you closer to winning a championship. They need to figure out a way to keep him 
in Cincinnati. And we're right now in the World Series. We're tied one to one. Have you watched the World Series at all? Uh, yes. Well, I watched the last four innings of the second game. As it, so after the UK game is over, you first well, lost. Game, UK game, okay. I lost. I, I watched it at the BW Series, and uh, they had both games on. Watching, but uh, I was flipping back and forth. I got to be honest. I watched, you know, probably, you know, probably about half of each. And then uh, the thing that's kind of ironic about this World Series, and we got to kind of hustle up because I know we got to get to a break, is that the this is the two best teams in baseball record-wise, and. Two of the best offenses in baseball, and they got good pitching staff. But both teams have made just stupid mistakes defensively in each game that have cost them. The Red Sox look like a freaking little league team, and that uh, and the and the play with two errors, where the catcher didn't catch the ball, and then the pitcher gets it and throws in the outfield, got a third base, and that ends up what cost them. And then of course the uh, controversial. Drops call in game one with St. Louis. Finally getting in their way. Maybe that's what it is. I don't know. But hopefully that these, these uh, we have game three tonight. Hopefully it's back in St. Louis. I'd like to see this series change. This has the makings of what could be a seven-game series that's really close and really good baseball with a lot of drama. And you've got a guy like Big Poppy who is uh, going to have to go play the field tonight because they have to have his bat in the lineup. And that's going to be really interesting to see as well. I love baseball. I love watching baseball. I know a lot of people don't. Uh, to me, it's, it is my favorite professional sport. And I know that's probably blasting me. With, they have to do like major league baseball more than the NFL or the NBA. But I do love watching baseball uh, a ton. So we are going to take our first break of the second hour. Uh, we have two segments left. We'll be right back on the weekend sports buzz. Welcome back to the weekend sports buzz. Let us know what you think. Give us a call on the Oxmoor Fort Lincoln Buzz Line at 384-1450. All right, we are back here at Sully's this weekend sports club. Mike Adolfo joined with Jason Suber. And uh, talking sports, getting ready for this Louisville football game, kicks off at noon. And of course, uh, I guess what I really want to focus on right here, Jason, is what has to happen in the remainder of the season for Louisville to feel like they had a good football season and for Kentucky to feel like they had a good football season. And does Kentucky, for example, does Kentucky have to get an SEC win for it to be a successful season? I believe so, and I believe they can. Um, You know, I think getting the three or four wins is a successful season. Um, you maybe, like, maybe more than that is holding on to your recruiting class. You don't feel like they can have a two-win season again like they did last year and still call it a successful season, even though that we're in these games that we weren't in last year. The 44 to nothing loss at home versus Vanderbilt doesn't look like that's kind of that kind of a performance isn't out there. This team is fighting to the end. They're doing the best they can with the limited talent they have or the young talent that they have, I could see... I you got to get another win or two uh, over at, above and beyond Alabama State to be successful because um, the second half of the season is where they have, or at least at the beginning of the year, where you thought they had more chances to get some Ws. And even though I see improvement in progress with the one and five record... Um, or it might be one and six now. Um, 
I think the second half of the year, you, you got to have a winner too uh, for the psyche of the program, the fans, and the players to call it a successful season. I just feel like they're no doubt about it moving in the right direction. And just because uh, they're playing against a Missouri team that's obviously proven to be a lot tougher than they thought it was going to be, they're going to be playing against a, a Georgia team that's had a disappointing year, a Tennessee team that looks like to me like they're really starting to click, and a Vanderbilt team on the road that's going to be a really difficult game. You know, again, I can see where last year you lose to 44 nothing at home against Vanderbilt where – you maybe only lose by a score at Vanderbilt, and that's still moving in the right direction. You're still going the right way, and especially knowing that they have very limited quarterback play. Max Smith, uh, unfortunately, is not the same quarterback he was last year. You know, he has not been the same quarterback since he got hurt. It does not seem like he's got a whole lot of confidence right now. He doesn't have a lot of confidence in his receivers. He doesn't have a confidence in his arm. He doesn't have the zip on his pack. When you have a quarterback out there where you basically know that they have to either jink and dunk or run the ball, and that's it. It's hard to really have an effective offense. And so well, I've got to assume that Jalen Whitlow gets healthy eventually uh, for maybe the last two or three games. So, I would think so, too. Um, my, Mark Stoops is the leader of the football program, and Mark Stoops says there are no more victories. So you got to get at least another one or two victories Uh to show progress and to me to make it a successful season. Um, I think they're going to continue to improve on the field and head in the right direction. Um, but I think you got to get another couple wins to have a good taste in your mouth going into the next season, especially for the fans and the players. I mean, losing will take a toll on your, on your psyche um, and players – have to taste some success in forms of a win to to feel good about themselves and for me to call it a successful season. And I guess there's two different things. I mean, successful season is one thing, but you, no doubt about it, no matter what, moving in the right direction is really the ultimate goal of what we got to, to hang our hats on and, uh, and well, know what helps on the way. I mean, if you if you only if you ended up this year with two wins. And then what is it, what does that set up for a successful season next year? Four wins? Well, you know, you're, you might be moving in the right direction, but four wins in year two is really tough. Well, it's going to be tough, and I don't think they're a bowl team next year. I think they're two years away from being a bowl team. And I don't think that uh, – I don't think the success is built over day. I think this team needs to so – the one thing that is tough as a fan base is that this team needs to learn how to compete first. Before you learn how to win, they got to learn how to compete. And then once they learn how to compete, which is what I think this year is all about, is learning how to compete, even at, at the SEC level. Because didn't, they didn't compete last year. And towards the uh, – I mean, they, they quit playing sometimes in the first half. So they're learning how to compete this year so that next year they can learn how to win. And that well, means hopefully then by year three that they're learning how to win consistently, how to handle winning, and getting to that bowl. If you look at other programs that have shot out, Traditionally, been down. Randy is a good example. They started winning in their second year. So, especially uh, now, there's a lot more parity, I think, in college with uh, football overall. There's a lot better coaching, a lot more wide open offenses. Um, I think year two, you got to show progress. I also think you look at what a lot of teams that I see are losing. Uh, Georgia's going to lose their quarterback, they're going to start off with a brand new quarterback. 
Florida, it looks like they're still struggling to become the program they once were. Uh, South Carolina's going to lose Connor Shaw. Um, Vanderbilt, who knows what's going to go on with James Franklin. Um, there's potential to win there. I mean, Missouri's going to lose James Franklin. He's a senior. So there's potential for UK to make some noise in the SEC next year. I think they have a good shot at six wins. Um, Louisville's losing a lot next year. That's a winnable game for UK. Last game of the year, even at Papa John's, they lose their quarterback. They're probably going to lose their best receiver. Who knows where Sean Watson's going to end up. Um, so there's a, there's a lot of winnable games out there, I think, and I think they can get to six wins. And if to me, next year they got to get to five-plus wins to be successful next year. So if you look at only getting two this year, you know, if, if you end up with three or four wins next year, then your recruiting momentum is going to be hurt. Your fan base is going to be less enthused, and you know you got to keep the momentum going. So I think they got to get to three or four wins this year to keep that going, keep their class, and then look for five plus wins next year. And hopefully get Matt Eel because that was that could help a ton there too. When they're going to be losing to Dante and Russell, they're stopping the line, pulling a guy like Matt Matt Eel who can step in and play right away and has already got an SEC type body. That would be a huge pickup for the Cats if they can pull them down hard and far. Louisville uh, Watts, what do they need to do? to have what they can call a successful season, or is that pretty much out the window? The national title is out of the window. BCS is not in their hands. It's in the hands of others. Successful season for them is win out. Have your standings last two games. And win your bowl game. And if that happens to be against a Miami or a Clemson, that's, or even Virginia Tech. Virginia Tech, that's not a given. Uh, so, you got to win out Virginia University. Otherwise, this is pretty well based on the expectations that the fan base has to see. And, right, I mean, they undefeated really with the fan base. The schedule being what it is. And then you got to wonder what direction that program's going. Right. I mean, especially they're they're, they're not going to be as good next year. I can't. There's a lot. You just as when we, we thought the ACC was the weakest offense, and now that they're really turning around and showing that they're, this conference is coming back. I feel like Fort State and Ryan will be top in preseason next year. Notre Dame getting another top in class, and all this is going to be a good team. Um, you play Clemson, they're going to be their quarterback. They've always got Clemson on their program. Boston College has been down. But they play them, and, and they play some teams tough this year. But even with when you play teams like Boston College and NC State and North Carolina and Virginia, you're playing a higher level caliber team. Yeah, yeah, they're not teams, but they're it's a different kind of athlete than playing against Southern University. It's going to be interesting because I mean uh, next year it could be a year where Louisville is looking at probably maybe a six-seven win season. And, I think uh, that, trying to be a, as unbiased and objective as possible, I think 
500 next year is a good season for them. It's not a great season. A great season is 7 8 nine. A good season is 6 months for them next year because they are going to have a tough schedule. It's going to be much much more difficult than what they're used to, which is going to be fun here to have some of those opponents come through this area and get to see some of those teams. And really, I think for Loyal to take the next step in their football program, you've got to play those type of teams on a on – a, on a week-in, week-out basis so that you know that that's the level you need to get to on a consistent basis and pick your team up a little bit more. Well, yeah, they might take a little bit of a step back next year uh, as far as uh, record goes, but then you can start to build for a more sustainable success team because I still think sustainable success for Louisville and ACC is possible. It's just not as easy as it was in the Big East or the AAC. And uh, it's going to be it's going to be a much better brand of football, and you won't have the doubters out there saying, "Hey, does this Louisville team, who's you know four or five years now, if the Louisville team's ten and two or nine or eleven and one or twelve and zero, you won't have the doubters on how good they are because they'll have to go out there and prove on the on the field and uh, against some real quality opponents. It's going to be a lot of fun. I mean, if you're UVA, you just got to look at what's happened in West Virginia about by joining a different conference, and you, you got to be realistic and. I know that uh, it's a different ball game. It's possible, but it's going to be tough. So, especially with the, I think the ACC, um, the Florida State, Miami's, and the Clemson's getting back to what they were, once were. It looks like success is going into next year. So, um, you know, well, I, think good, I think a good. I think a. Like you said, we went through. You said you know, they got to win out, win their bowl game next year. I think success for them is six, seven games. And it's kind of poetic justice that Louisville's got to win out to get to that game against the ACC opponent, which will be kind of the precursor to the, what they've got to go into next year. Uh, you know, when you think about how important that game could be for Louisville, when they've got to play an ACC opponent and yeah, it could affect what your preseason media day uh, bowl rent or not, but a conference projection is all that stuff. All all these it gives these UL players an opportunity to go out there and make a, a noise for themselves in front of the ACC press, so that you might get a couple guys on the All ACC preseason next year or whatever else, because you have that opportunity to play against an ACC opponent in the bowl game. It really. Kind of looking back at it, you know, yeah, it's disappointing that they wouldn't be in a BCS game, but it really, if you're not in a BCS bowl game, it's really the best situation that they could be in to have to play a top-notch opponent uh, in Orlando, even though the bowl name is not sexy. So uh, I guess, I don't know if this used to be the Champ Sports Bowl or what. I'm not sure, but who knows. But it's when you have 80 balls, it's hard to keep up with it. And they always change names all the time. So, uh, and then, you know, Russell is the official sponsor of Western Kentucky Hilltopper Sport. And I think they're made out, all, all their stuff's made at the Fruit of the Loon Factory there uh, in Bowling Green. So, yeah, keep it, keep it local. Keep, uh, keep everything local. Uh, we're going to go a little bit longer in this segment, then we'll have a short segment to finish the show. The, uh, the big news in Louisville football, though, this week, besides Central Florida loss, was the Clint Hurt situation, and then it coming out that Clint Hurt, while employed at the University of Louisville, was not 
all the way forthcoming with the NCAA. I don't think they actually used the word lied, but they implied that he was not all the way truthful with the with the uh, NCAA. The NCAA is not going to come out and with the show calls on him unless they have solid evidence. Because the way people can sue people for, you know, ruining your career, ruining your name, NCAA is not going to come out. They got their information by piecing together multiple stories, not only recruits but other coaches, and it differs from Clint Hurt. So if you're an unbiased outsider, you got to think the Clint Hurt story is not the truth because there's multiple other people that have a different story. So it's not he said, she said, it's multiple versus his. The interesting thing is that Jurich has come out and said, we believe Clint Hurt, we don't believe the NCAA. That's what's very interesting to me. Um, Which, you know, he's got his reasons for whatever reasons to be loyal, and I think every coach wants to be with an athletic writer that's going to be loyal, but you can be loyal to a fault because now you're in a situation where if Clint Hurt, and not saying that this is going to happen, but if Clint Hurt does break a rules violation at the University of Louisville, the NCAA can come back and say, hey, we – we kind of warned you about this. You had your chance to take care of it. You didn't. You know, this is what you're going to get. It's going to be more than a slap on the wrist because the NCAA is going to look at this. It's like, hey, this is kind of like a – even though it's not a second offense, it kind of is a second offense because, you know, we we came down – you basically didn't believe it the first time. And, I think, and, and what this opens it up to, whether it's a case or not, it, it opens it up to conspiracy theories. When Jurich comes out and keeps hurt, you can people out there can come out and they can say he's hiding something. He's hiding something that, that hurt there at Louisville. So whether it's true or not, any truth to it or not, the conspiracy theories can run wild, and you just have to grin and take it. And um, I'm not saying there's any credence to it. I mean, some people might suggest that there's something that went on with the Bridgewater improvement. There's no proof, and it probably didn't happen. But people can run wild with that. So, whenever when all this came out, and it looked like he was going to investigate the University of Miami a couple of seasons ago. I, I thought Louisville was wrong for not immediately pulling them off the recruiting trail, and I thought, uh, you know, they had to at least figure out what was going on right off the bat. And they, you know, Clint Hart's been a big part of why this team's successful, but he's no longer the recruiting coordinator at there anymore. He's just a defensive line coach. And let, and so, how much question? When it, I guess Bridgewater was going to go to Miami, correct? When that didn't work out, and they oh, got there was like four of those guys that were going to go to Miami, and all of a sudden they they pick they pick Louisville. I'm not saying there's anything there, but it seems it seems it's very interesting. But when you had to cheat to get to those guys to go to Miami, yeah. but you don't have to cheat to get to go to Louisville. I, and I don't, and I don't think there was anything foul. It's just, it, it does look a little iffy. <laughs> but if you're jersey, you know, you're just going to have to take them if you make your decision. Um, but at least they can't say that Cal's a cheater anymore, right? Because um, uh, Cal's never been accused by anybody in civil or been proven by anybody in civil has. In your opinion, how does Trevor Strong look on this? Because basically, he's let Jerry Chain and he's taken the heat. And it's basically, you know, I'm sure he had a gap real put on him by the university during the whole two years. But he basically, you know, he stuck by her all the time. How does he look in all this? Does he look weak? Does he look 
I don't know. I think his focus is trying to get his team regrouped after a really unfortunate loss. Uh, I'm not talking about this week. I'm talking about the whole situation. Well, I mean, obviously, the the loyalty the loyalty has to involve all three guys. It has to include Jerch, Charlie, and Clint Hurst. That's necessary. About Jerch maybe hiding something, which probably didn't have, probably didn't either. But the other conspiracy theory is Jerch is doing this to show him to Charlie, not just Clint Hurst. To say, and hey, the guy didn't leave last year, yeah. and so maybe that and that and that it, well, that wouldn't be a conspiracy theory. I think that'd be the truth. And you know what? As an athletic director, that's if the guy is going to come and 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 be loyal to me and not go to Tennessee or not take another job, then you stand by your coach and see what happens. That's not necessarily a bad thing. So, all right, we're going to take a break. We got uh, we'll have one more segment, and then we'll turn it over to uh, Bacon and Perrin Johnson. And uh, this is Mike Adolfo, Jason Stuber, on the Weekend Sports Buzz. Welcome back to the Weekend Sports Buzz. Let us know what you think. Give us a call on the Oxmoor Fort Lincoln Buzz Line at Welcome back to the Weekend Sports Buzz. Mike and Dolfo, Jason Stuber here for one last segment. So thanks for hanging out with us with this uh, with this physical technical difficulties we've had. And I think we're getting it all straightened away for uh, the show after us. we got Trevor Kelsey and Perrin Johnson following us, and uh, hopefully they'll be able to have a little bit better uh, connection than what we got here for the Weekend Sports Buzz. But well, we appreciate you listening. And, uh, again, we got Louisville getting ready to, to kick off here in about, well, about 15 minutes or so. And uh, we're we're taking up to kick kick off here. We're going to talk real quick about the upcoming college football games of the day, and maybe do uh, do some picks. So let's uh, let's get right to it. The big one today were is where uh, game day is. UCLA and Oregon. How do you see that game going today? That game is at Oregon. Uh, I don't see anybody stopping Oregon. UCLA's had a great season so far, and they're. Uh, turning that program around, but Oregon's just too tough on offense. Um, I think Oregon's going to win out and face everyone. Well, that that's, that brings up a point right there too, and then maybe this is something we can talk about. You right now, we've got like nine undefeated teams, but we have the top four are all undefeated. They look like they're as long as they stay undefeated, they're going to be the top four. You've got an Ohio State team that, to me, doesn't pass anybody's eyeball test. And it's really easy to exclude them from a national championship game. Where are they in the current BCS? They're not number two, are they? They're like number four. Yeah, they're all them. I'm starting at number four working up. Now two and three, because two and three vary. uh, But the BCS, number three, is Oregon. And number two is Florida State. Oregon's got back-to-back weeks where they have UCLA, and then they go to Stanford. Florida State still has games, though, against Miami and the University of Florida. Alabama, of course, is Alabama, and if they went out and won the SEC championship, they got a pretty good, you know, they're going to be there. So then it's like, how do you choose between that this Florida State team, who's not just beating top teams, they're destroying top teams, and you have this Oregon team, you know, 
very similar styles. You got both these quarterbacks to me are the ones that are fighting for the Heisman Trophy with Mariota and Jameson Wilson. Those two guys look like they're going to be the Heisman Trophy front runners. Maybe Johnny Menzel, but at, at this point, I doubt it. How do you choose between an Oregon team and a Florida State team for who plays in the national championship game? Well, that's a tough call, and it's it's very subjective, I guess. Yeah, you know, that's why you have the BCS rankings. They rank them, and you know it's based on strength. Um, Even in the year though, when Auburn yeah. got when Auburn got left out, when they were undefeated, it wasn't it wasn't the same as this situation where it's like, man, Auburn's really as good as the as was it, was it Oklahoma and uh, who was Oklahoma and USC, yeah. yeah. And then, but this is like where you have three freaking great teams. Well, that's true, but I guess it's not a perfect system that's all going to play off. Let me ask you this. Is there any, is there any year since the BCS has been around, like, 98, something like that, that the winner of the BCS game, you question that they were the legit national title? Because I don't know. I've never had that feeling. I, I, I would agree. I mean, I think from that standpoint, the BCS has worked. But whether, whether it's fair. But this could be the first year. Uh-huh. We'll see. I mean, Alabama would have to lose whoever they play there. Yeah, but see, like, I would love – I'm not so sure Florida State wouldn't beat Alabama. Um, you know, I mean, you guys that debatable. At this point, Nick Saban's defense, um, Florida State hasn't seen anything like that yet. I, I just think, uh, to me, the two best teams – you mentioned the eyeball test with Ohio State. I agree with you. Ohio State doesn't pass that, and they're not one of the top two teams. The eyeball test to me, Alabama and Oregon are two best teams. Nothing against Florida State. They, they, they are dominating teams, and they've got a great quarterback who could very well win the highest. Um, I, I guess my feelings are the, dyna- the speed and the dynamics of the Oregon offense and the speed of their team. Again, if if you're just making a judgment call, I think they're the second best. They're one of the top two teams with Santa. And I haven't really gotten a chance to really watch Oregon play a whole lot. I have seen Florida State play, and I'm just what they did to Clemson last week is at Clemson at a tough place to play. I mean, I mean that team. It's it's hard for me to say that they're not the second best team or even the best team in the country. I mean, all, I could make a case for all three of those teams to be the best team in the country, and it's going to be very unfortunate, if I, and I really hope that all four go undefeated because I just want to see Ohio State get the short end of the stick, which will be just fantastic. Um, but they're not really the short end of the stick because they really don't deserve to be in the national title game. I mean, it's, it's the same situation as Louisville. They're not playing a great schedule, and they're not playing up to the standard that they should be playing up to on a game-by-game. But yes, they're winning, they're undefeated, but they're not playing up to that standard of being a national championship team. Didn't they have the opportunity to play Louisville this year, Ohio State, or is it next year? It was. It was would have been this year, but certain things had to happen. And I, it's not like they didn't play Louisville because they were like running from them or something like that. Uh, but that would have been a great game for both teams because they needed both of them needed that legitimate win on their schedule. Um, so then you got uh, Texas Tech, another undefeated team. They play Oklahoma today. That should be a really good game. Who do you think is going to win that game? Texas Tech, you know. Where is it? I think it's at Oklahoma. 
Oklahoma's struggling here. My mind tells me Oklahoma, but my gut tells me Bob Stutes. You gotta, you gotta think. Past five or six years, he's underachieved. Is he done? If he loses, I mean, he's lost. What he lost? I don't know. I do know that that he is not well liked with the Oklahoma fan base. Um, he lost to a really years. bad Texas team. Yep. I mean, not and now you got and then they they followed up with another loss, I believe. Uh, I'm not really sure to who, but they've had a couple losses this year where they didn't think they were going to have them, and. It was the Texas Tech with a walk-on freshman quarterback. I don't you know. know. I think this might be one of those cases. You know, it happens a lot. You get a you get a coach, or even in the business order, any profession where a change of scenery sometimes is good. Right, and and, and that might be the case for Stoops in Oklahoma. Oklahoma might need somebody new in there to excite the program. Stoops might need a change of scenery to get fired up again about what he's doing. I think that's kind of the case there. Um, but getting back to that game, that's a tough call. I, I think uh, Texas Tech, I'm going to go with Oklahoma. I think Texas Tech is uh, they're suspect on defense, and um, they've had a few close games where they've, they've come out on top that they could have gone either way. So I'm going to go with Oklahoma. Another intriguing Pac-12 matchup is Stanford having to go to number 25, Oregon State. Oregon State started the year with a really embarrassing loss, and then they've been very good since then. Last year, the, the Stanford this game was at Stanford, and it was close. Stanford might be looking ahead next year, next week to playing uh, uh, Oregon. So, does Oregon State have a shot here to pull this up? Then? I have a shot, but I... I think Stanford win. Um, Stanford, I, I still really believe in their coach. I think he's a solid coach. And I think Stanford's probably woken up since losing the game they should have lost. Um, did they, who did Stanford lose to? Was it Arizona State? They lost to, I believe it was Arizona State. And Arizona State killed somebody pretty good. I think they beat Washington pretty badly last week. So Arizona State's an upcoming team as well. I think Stanford... Uh, I think they take care of business. All right, let's talk real quick because we only got a couple, like a minute and a half left. So, who is uh, we got Louisville, South Florida? What's the spread on this game? I believe it's like twenty and a half. I'm gonna go with uh, Louisville, but they don't cover the spread. I think South Florida. Louisville doesn't play well there. Uh, the one thing that's going for Louisville is they are coming off a loss, so maybe they may be more focused, more fired up. I guess that's what, to me, it's like, how do they come off this loss? Do they come off with, like, this hangover effect and they just don't really look that sharp? You know, the their ultimate goal of the season, basically, it's not, not over, but it's really, 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 really hurt of getting to a PCS game. So do these guys just like, hey, we don't have that much to play for anymore, and they kind of drop, or do they, do they get upset and they go out there and they give you the performance that we, and they play up to that standard that we all think they should be well, I mean, If you look at the past three weeks going back to Temple, they hadn't played a lot of fire at all. So, um, you know, I, like I said, I think they win. They win easily, but if the spread is as big as you say it is, I don't think they ever spread. Um, South Florida has shown a little bit of improvement as the season's gone on on, on defense. I don't have much of an offense from my understanding, but, uh, you know, can be tough to go down. It's an early game, traditional place. They don't play well, and they might be having a hangover. So, all right. Well, that's our show for today. 
Everybody enjoy the football game today with Louisville South Florida. We will catch you next week on the Weekend Sports Buzz. And welcome in to a special edition, extended edition of the Weekend Sports Buzz. Uh, Trevor Kellis here, Parent Johnson. We are live out at Sully's Restaurant on 4th Street, right at the corner of 4th Street. Great atmosphere, a lot of great TVs. Doing our pre-slash first quarter slash most of the first half edition of Louisville in South Florida, Parent. Yes, absolutely. It's a great, great time down here as we're sitting here watching this game. Um, I'll tell you one thing is for sure. I Seeing this game right now, I wish I was in Tampa the way this weather is looking down there versus how it is. Oh, right you're now. a baby. It is not that bad outside. This is football you know, I weather. Layer, I don't have a layer to call you're, 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 just, you're just a Cali softie at heart. Uh, you, you would be, too. You can't you. take it. I grew up in the Ohio Valley. I know this, this, is, a, this is almost short weather you know to what's me. funny? Two weekends ago, we got five inches of rain that weekend. Now, I mean, how many inches of rain we get in California in a year? How many? Maybe an inch. <laughs> Thank you. That sums it up for me right there. As the best, we're out here. So he's doing a little breakdown. And I, I would say breaking down the previewing uh, Louisville and South Florida, but they have kicked off, and Louisville is making a nice, impressive drive in the first start run of this game. And parent, one thing I've noticed, and, and I have several questions about this game I want to go over with you, yes. kind of a five, five biggest questions about this coming off the Central Florida loss for Louisville is they are second and five on the uh, about the 29-yard line of South Florida looking to put up some points first. Uh, the most thing is, like, I look right now, I see Scenarios Perry in the game getting a play action, and it brings up the question, the running back situation. And it was a topic all week, kind of, yes. of the three-headed monster. Dominic Brown looked very good in the Central Florida game, several drives. Perry fumbled for the second week in a row in the least crucial, or the least most uh, best time for Louisville, I guess you could say, the most crucial area causing uh, the, the turnaround of momentum. If you're Louisville, and, you know, Steve Rummage mentioned this yesterday on the show, why not just kind of, as he said, start with a three-headed, go one possession each guy, and at that point, by the end of the first quarter, you know the guy with the hot hand, ride him the rest of the game. You know, I feel like they should do that myself, but, you know, it's kind of hard sometimes when you see what they do uh, as we have just scored, ladies and gentlemen. I'd be Damian they, Copeland on a, on, a, on, a, on a fly route for about 28 yards. Hometown kick is a hometown touchdown. So nice. For him, if the score is 7 to nothing, Louisville with a, a ten and a half year on the first quarter, ladies and gentlemen, if you're not able to see the game right now. You know, I would, I would really do that because at the end of the day, I know we can pass the ball all day on anybody. And if Charlie Char- Char- Strong wanted to sit back there and let – Teddy Bridgewater slinging 45, 50 times a game. We could do that. I feel like we could beat people. But I think we should have a balanced attack, and I would like to see us have a balanced attack. And, you know, everybody's waiting for Michael Dyer to get off and get going. But at the end of the day, Michael Dyer is, you know, a little rusty. He hasn't played football in two years. So, I mean, it's going to take him a little bit to get going, I feel like, maybe this whole season under his belt. And Sonoris Perry, he showed flashes of greatness and breaking some runs. But, I mean, Dominique Brown, he's just so – The last two weeks in fumbles, though, have been not been a good thing. No one's really – I didn't mean to cut you off. Uh, right, I, 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 no one's really caught in that big play burst. First, you saw it with Dyer the first week against uh, 
Division Two, who gives a damn at this point, yes. and from the buddy's eye. Since then, you really haven't seen a lot of big bursts. Perry had one in the Rutgers game, which kind of made his stats look better than they were. Yes. And, but they've come later on. I, I agree with you. I have no problem with running the ball. I, I've come. I, I, I like the old Tom Osborne Nebraska days, Tommy Frazier and company running the ball, Big Ten football. Yes. I love it. I have no problem with it. And I agree. I don't want. It's kind of worth saying Nebraska the Big Ten football. It is. <laughs> <laughs> It is. It is weird now. Actually, works. I was thinking of the two as two separate entities. You said it's so smooth. Yeah, like I did. Now it comes out so perfectly. Yes. But you know, and I have no problem with Teddy. I know that little, like you said, can pitch it forty-five times. But you don't want Teddy getting out there, getting attempt to get hit forty-four yes. times with every pass. You want to be able to run the ball. Like John Elway put it best. He's like when they asked Brett Favre to come back and play for the Rams. He said, "I can throw the ball all day. I just can't." Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's a big deal, and you don't want Teddy get hit. No, no disrespect to Will Gardner, who knows how good he might be, but. Teddy's obviously the superstar of this team, a Heisman candidate, first pick in the draft. I just don't like the fact that you just keep switching your hand as you run the ball. I mean, you have three guys that are all capable of being a number one back. It's the old analogy, you know, running back by committee is more commonly used and not as not as unsuccessful. Well, quarterback by committee, that's but that's but that leads me out of the old saying, and I love old sayings because I'm an old guy. Parent is yeah, if old, you have two quarterbacks. <laughs> It is if you have two quarterbacks, you have no quarterback. Yes. So in, in this case, well, kind of maybe, yeah. I mean, at this moment, no, they don't. But, you know, in Louisville's case, you know, I don't know how true do you think it stands that if you have three running backs, you have no running back. Yeah, I don't think it's the same as quarterback, but you you got to wonder at what point, because you can't just keep bringing guys on and off the field and expect them to stay hot. Right. And that I think it seems to be the problem. And I think that has a lot to do with the inconsistency this running game has had. Yeah, I, I, I agree with you. You can't expect the guy to get into a flow if you don't allow him to get into some type of flow. It's the same with basketball. Yeah, I mean, it's no different. Yeah, you can't. You know, Rick Pitino always pulls guys out. If they come right in the game and they make a mistake, he pulls them right back out. But, I mean, he wants guys to have that discipline and focus to come in there and not make a mistake and shoot for perfection. But I totally understand what you're saying. But then when you look at that, it's hard to get in a groove if you're not able to ever form one. And that can be very frustrating for all those guys because they're all, all so talented. So we'll see as the, as the season progresses. And they, Hopefully somebody get more consistent as we go through the second half of this season. I agree. It is we, we watched this uh, this first this first drive by a little one, impressive one with 10.33 to play. They are up 7 nothing on South Florida. And the mustard is flowing. <laughs> and they've used both Perry and Brown on this drive. So a nine-play, 90-yard, 4-minute, 27-second drive, which Bridgewater went 4-for-4 four for 46 yards, including – a 28-yard touchdown pass to Damian Copeland. I believe it's fourth or fifth of the year, uh, if I'm not mistaken. We are live out here at Sully's. Nice little crowd of people. Uh, but man, uh, man, Mike Gandalfo setting it down in the first couple hours. They were out here early getting a breakdown of this game as a preview for it. Through a little studio update in Nebraska, Minnesota. A big game going on. Obviously, in the Minnesota going through a lot of problems this year, mostly with the coaching staff. Jerry Kill having, obviously, health issues. The team is kind of doing a what the Colts went through a little bit last year, having to deal with That's a lot easier. of off the off the field uh, adversity. But uh, this is a big thing for Louisville. Before we take our first break, Louisville taking a lead in this game early because South Florida, as we discussed with Michael uh, or Joey Johnstone from the Tampa Tribune earlier this week, parent said this is a team that hasn't scored an offensive touchdown in two weeks. Yes, the kicker, this is a team that likes to run the ball. The kicker has outscored the team thirty-seven to thirty-four this season. That's saying a lot. Anytime your kicker has more points than you and you're in the six week, six week of the season, that's saying a lot. Willie Taggart is going to do his best to right the issue, but I mean, let's just say it's a very, very steep hill. You 
Who has a steeper hill at this point? Maybe Tampa Bay, who are both playing, both playing Raymond well, James, Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Me, at least everybody likes Willie Taggart. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> to, to right now. That's true. Willie Taggart wasn't liked too much and, the first month of the season. And South Florida has more wins in, in Raymond James Stadium than the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. <laughs> which is so, one to nothing, yeah. which is not a really great achievement, but nonetheless, uh, as I said, though, it's a big deal because this, this South Florida offense, as we talked about all week, not very explosive as they get a nice first down pass right there to go up on a second and nine, trying to keep their first drive alive as well. If Louisville can get up on this team early, does Louisville, do you think they should just kind of be like they have with Charlie and pull off the metal, pedal to the metal a little bit, or go for the throat in this game? I mean, right uh, now you're upset. You know, I think Charlie and Willie Taggart have some type of relationship, so I won't say they're going to go for the throat. He's not by Petrino. That's all. Uh, we all know that. Yeah, so- what I will say is, uh, you know, you got, a, you got a little taste of blood in your mouth after last week's mishap. So, I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if they put the pedal on the middle for at least three quarters. Now, depending on what the score's going to be like after that, we'll see. But at the end of the day, you know, you're a, you're a team that's contending possibly if things work out for a BCS title game. So you want to make sure if, if everything works out with the UCF lose. So you might want to, you know, pedal to the middle, get some points, and move up in the BCS standings. In my you got to show some impressive. Like you said, I think you said it best. Get that taste out of your mouth, that nasty taste from Central Florida it's out of your mouth. To me, it's like mustard. You mentioned honey mustard. That's what I it is. Mustard. I despise oh, mustard. Yeah. Yes. I'm the pickiest fat guy you'll ever meet when it comes to eating. I'm telling you right now. Uh, Shaw, the star running back for South Florida, by the way, uh, was the question about his playing or not in this game is going to be a no, he is not yeah. playing. And now, see, this bothers me because, you know, as we watch, as we watch this game, we see it, we're not going to give you no play-by-play or anything like that. But I'll tease you a little bit. He is moving the ball. Yeah. And, and, he's uh, running the ball. He should not be able to run the ball like that against us. And, and we're a top-tier team. I, I agree 100%. We are live. I hear Sully's 4th Street, live Parent Johnson, Trevor Kills, myself, out here hanging out. Nice little crowd here. We got some T-shirts that are giving away. We got great prices on some. Some beverages of the 21 and over categories. Yes. Uh, some food. I was looking at the menu. Obviously, we know the wings is good. As we are here with you for the next 60 minutes, or at least 45 at this point, as Louisville and South Florida go head-to-head. Louisville up 7-0 on a third and two and just sacked South Florida's quarterback. So they are now looking to force a punt. We're going to take a quick break, come back. One thing the parent brought up that, uh, that South Florida was doing well in this possession that I want to talk about when we get back, and that's not Louisville's defense is except Louisville's playing defense playing well, but Louisville's defense struggling against the run. We'll get into that a lot more. Keep you updated on this game as you're driving around. Hopefully on your way you're down here to Sully's to hang out with us. Maybe yes. buy me a burger because I could always seven, use the free food. It is seven and nothing with seven minutes to go in the first quarter, and South Florida is punting the ball back to Louisville. So Louisville will take uh, – when we come back, Louisville should have the ball. We'll keep you updated on that. When we come back here on a special edition of the Weekend Sports Buzz, Louisville pre-slash first quarter breakdown. Here at Sully's 4th Street Live afternoon drive. Sorry, not afternoon drive. Saturday morning drive. Here at 1450 The Sports Buzz. Welcome back uh, to a special edition of the Weekend Sports Buzz, our Sully's pregame slash first quarter breakdown game of Louisville and South Florida. A little me, myself, and I uh, coming back in. What's well, uh, me, Trevor Kilson, Parent Johnson next to me. So I'm not alone here. I got a nice little crowd here out here at Sully's on 4th Street watching the Cardinals. They are leading South Florida 
seven to nothing currently. Still in the first quarter, six fifteen to play in the game. Yes. As uh, Louisville just missed his shot trying to go over top, but has it first and ten right now, and uh, looking to hopefully the twentieth ranked cards to get a little bit more breathing room early in this game against South Florida. And I say that because for two reasons: one, Louisville does need this type of win against this type of team to get its confidence up after a down Central Florida game last week as Bridgewater goes down to a sack, attempting to be mobile out of the quarter, out of the pocket, but unsuccessful. And to get a bigger lead, a two-score lead early in this game, parent is, I think, crucial because of something we talked about before we went to our break, and that is South Florida's running game and Louisville's unfortunate inability, especially exposed last week against Central Florida, to stop the run. South Florida is not a team that wants to throw deep. As you mentioned, they have one quarterback <laughs> at this point, at least a legitimate quarterback. Willie Taggart, we know, wants to play a pro-style offense, wants to run the ball, wants to ball control. And you can't do that when you're down 7 nothing. On the other hand, Louisville not looking good against the run. No, you know, they, they, they've done some things and they're getting some places. But uh, one thing I will say about this game, uh, as I as we sit here watching it, you're listening to it in the car on your phone app. I'll just by chat now and hand it to you and sure. Max, give them a call, 479 I got that memorized. Yes, man. I love saying that. But, you know, when you see them out here, South Florida may not be the greatest offensive team in the world, so the defense spends a lot of time on the field. And I'll tell you what, their defense is hit. They are hit people. They just they just pop Teddy Bridgewater. They just pop somebody else for a reception. I mean, they are out here hitting Right now, as it is third and sixteen. Right now, with five minutes ago, Louisville in a, little a shotgun formation with three up strong and one on the weak side. Four receivers set, uh, one running back. It goes out in South Florida with pressure again on Teddy Bridgewater, and again he goes down. Uh, drive killer sacks are drive killers paired, and have two in one possession. Well, that's utter. That's that's virtual murder of a drive. Yes, uh, right now the offensive line's got to do a better job about protecting Teddy Bridgewater right now. And uh, we'll see what happens as this game progresses. But we definitely are not playing to our capabilities right now. It's score seven nothing, and it is about fourth and thirty-five. <laughs> He's not exaggerating, ladies and gentlemen. It's legitimately fourth and thirty-five. Uh, the worst thing about the sack, as well as Louisville now punting, a clean punt by Ryan Johnson. And South Florida will get, oh, and he gets drilled in a flag by no surprise. He uh, That's a good point. I didn't see him signal either unless we have a UConn signal. moment. Yes. Uh, possible flag down, maybe a, uh, a foul. hopefully not for Little Wolves. This punt, though, does put, as we'll let you know what this call is here in a second, it does put South Florida in good field position as yes. well. To able to run the game, Little needs to get to battle the field position back a little bit here as this game continues. What does Louisville need to do, Parent? Back to what we were talking about, the run, as, as we get a little bit distracted as the game continues as we discuss it. But the run defense, Louisville defensively for the first part of this season, you're right, he did not, by the way, call for a, a fair catch at all right there. I do not see one. I don't know what that call is going to be unless it's a targeting. But we'll, we'll find out as they go to commercial break now. But back to this Louisville defense. They got, you know, I just want to see them uh, basically stop, you know, stop the run. Because if you, if you force teams to go third and nine, 
you know, third and eight, third and seven, those are hard to convert. You don't want to get people third and fives and third and twos. Well, a third and long, you can do what Louisville falls into their, their wheelhouse. You can be able to put your ears back and attack the quarterback because yes. you know they're going to pass the ball. But a lot of that has to do with Louisville, Louisville being a little too over pursuive. That's the proper English, and I don't yeah, think it is. Jackson, Thank you. Yeah, I make up my own words like Barney Stinson. We call it baconese in my area of town. Uh, <laughs> there's, an, there's an English to baconese uh, dictionary available at all local bookstores and Barnes and Nobles around the Louisville area. Uh, they, they do are aggressive. They're highly aggressive. In South, Central Florida took advantage of that with their zone runs and their stretch runs because when Louisville was being that so over-aggressive over going at the quarterback with their defensive ends, it allows lanes to open up in the A and B gaps and gets and running backs as good as Storm Johnson especially are able to get through there and just shred over five, six, seven. I mean, listen, if you're getting five, four yards a run, guess what? You need 10 for first down, Perrin. You got, you got the degree I don't. What's four times three? Four times three? Yes, and that's a first down every time. You don't even need to pass the ball. Funny. I didn't answer that, but I really had to think because I haven't done this in a while. <laughs> hey, I took pre three times. So, by the way, uh, we got some ladies walking up here. Oh, of course, they come up and say out of pair. No, none of the ladies come out and say out of me, but that's, you know what? I, I've gotten used to that in 33 years of my life. It comes with the territory. It's one of the reasons why I hang out with Perrin to begin with. Oh, uh, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we got a nice little crowd out here. Of course, she winked at me a little bit, though, I think. Uh, as we are here a little, at Sully's on 4th Street live, a uh, lot, lot of nice little crowd looming in here. Despite a Saturday noon game, you know, you can't ask for two worse opponents to play on a Saturday noon in Temple and in South Florida, unfortunately, for our luck right now. But still, Louisville fans coming out, watching this game despite the loss, as uh, we see Abram uh, Garcia, the Louisville offensive lineman, on the bench down now. And that's one thing is I want to talk about when we come back here in a little minute. We're a very young offensive line group, so I mean, this is not a good look for us right now. And obviously, as he's taking off his pads, it's very evident that he's not coming back in this game. And that's, that's something that Louisville cannot lose because the offensive line is – been a pleasant, a decent surprise, but still was a question mark coming into the season. As Central Florida looks with 3:55 to go in its first quarter, down seven nothing to Louisville, and they're going a little play action on first and ten with good field position from the 50 and lots of time to throw it. And Louisville, and they are ends up throwing it away because that's what happens. We have one quarterback and he sucks. If you're Central, if you're South Florida for this example, we are live. <laughs> An intentional ground. Uh, oh, roughing. Oh, you got to be kidding me, people. Oh, Lord. Uh, something you cannot do if you're University of Louisville defense, and that is give up free oh, first gosh, down. That, stupidity, and that is a hor- it is a good call and a stupid that mistake was, by that, Louisville's that 93. Was two and a half seconds after you released the ball, so that, that was the right call. And um, those are the kind of mistakes Louisville's defense Who's been shaky over the last week and since last week could not give up three penalties for Louisville now for 40 yards, something you do not do on the road. I don't care how bad South Florida has played the first four, first four weeks of the season. Not something that you need to do for Louisville. We are live out here, so as we need to do for Louisville is drive on out, get in your car, come out to Sully's, hang out. So what we need to do is so we drive to Tampa. Yeah. <laughs> come out here, Mr. Perrin will uh, buy you a Red Bull. And we'll just sit here and enjoy some yeah, little football yeah, and a lot of great prices on both uh, the alcoholic and non-alcoholic beverages. A lot of great food out here. So it's nice little crowd start roaming around 4th Street. Not as hype as it usually is, but it's Saturday morning. A lot yes, of people. Everybody is trying to pre-party it up with their Halloween costumes tonight. Exactly. Parties everywhere. 
I want to talk a little Halloween with Perrin. We, we, we dabbled with that earlier in the week. We'll get into that a little bit more. You know, I want to ask you, since we're going to talk about this, yeah. let's talk about some of your best Halloween, your top three Halloween costumes you've ever worn in your lifetime. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to allow myself to think about that yes, for a minute. Yes, yes. I got, I got my three. I'm going to tell you that Louisville has got South Florida the third and 12 with 320 to play and counting in the first quarter, up 7 to nothing. Yes. And I'm going to tell you we are still alive in our souls for the next 30 minutes, and we're going to take a break. We're going to come back. We're going to discuss a little Halloween. Because, you know, you know, as a fat man, I love me some candy. But I've never been a dress-up guy. <laughs> oh, you killed me. You need to stop putting your dress up the bus so much. <laughs> that's, a, that's a one big damn bus. I love you. <laughs> you know yourself the bus too much. I love you. Don't I learned me. one thing, parent, growing up as a big guy. If you, if you make fun of yourself first, it takes away. It takes away the. It takes away the. Uh, the love of somebody else doing it. Yeah, they, they always make fun of me. Like, oh, your nose is really white. I said, just Max, I'm stealing all your air. <laughs> <laughs> We're gonna take a break. Come back, live with us, Perry Johnson, Trevor Kelsey. After I did it again. I swear I'm not gonna do it again. We are weekend sports bus. Louisville pregame slash the first quarter breakdown here at Sully's. We'll be right back. Game. He has 11 of Louisville's 15 carries, but kind of doing what we 
are predicting and asked for not only for the leaders being chose, pick a guy with a high end, which was Dominic Brown last week to a degree, and kind of stick with him. Well, Dominic got 11 carries for 63 yards, a long of 32. Perry, just two carries so far. And Bridgewater uh, listed as two carries for negative 25 because of football. When you get sacked, it goes against your rushing stats. It's against the rushing stat. And it's, 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 it's an amazing thing right now when you see what they got going on right now. I just can't believe the offense is stuck. I'm baffled. Uh, Laurie McDonald, Jim Davis out here. They're stuck and baffled. That's a little bit fast. Kind of fair with the house We're not moving the ball right now. We're, we're over here. I mean, I don't know what to say about this, Trevor. I'm just, uh, I'm, I'm very stuck right now in terms of where we're at as an offense because, you know, we were such an offensive this is Tony Bridgewater show, talking right now to the offensive coordinator, Sean Watson. I'm sure passing last Copeland with the one touchdown so far, as we mentioned earlier in the game, 20 yard touchdown pass from Teddy Bridgewater earlier in the first quarter. He's got two catches of 28 yards. In typical Teddy Bridgewater. The stuff, spreading the ball around immensely. Uh, one for Perry, two for Copeland, Brown, Rogers, Clark, Hubble, all with one catch each. Uh, Louisville not obviously targeting anybody in particular. They never do, but Devontae Parker's name yet to be mentioned, as I said there, in terms of catches on South Florida. Not really a shock. It's about as likely as basically to go, I go home once on Friday night. Bobby, though, for three just 10 yards. Darius Rice leads South Florida with four carries for seven yards. Uh, also, one catch by Sean Price. He has that one catch for 10 yards. But it's been the defense of South Florida so far, and this game has allowed them to stay within striking distance. And when you're within striking distance, you're falling into Taggart's playbook wheelhouse where you're able to run the ball and go play action. And that's something Louisville was hoping to avoid and still can. But I know one before this half at least ends. Yeah, as, as this makes me sick that we're not playing well in the national South Florida highlights. You Central Florida highlights up 21 to 3 on the UConn and many of the fans are going to be looking forward in the standings as far as the conference goes. Uh, you know, it's a lot of games going on, Trevor. You know, Oklahoma State is up 21 to 7 against Iowa State as well. But um, since it is the Halloween weekend, I say they all go to Halloween party on such. What do you remember as your top three Halloween costumes? I've never been dressed up. I, uh, I I would go out. I would. I did obviously the kids' costumes when I was younger. I think the most ex- extensive that I ever did, and this is uh, going into my. I think I was about maybe ten or eleven, because after about eleven, I was that lazy guy that would just wear his t-shirt and said, "This is my costume. Deal with it." But I would put on, you know, something. I was like Jim from The Office. I did the laziest. <laughs> I was the laziest totally Okay, but the one that did go a little I went as a great Muda. Now, do you remember the great Muda? He was a former wrestler back in. He was big in Japan, huge in Japan. And uh, he, he face painted, he was all black, he blew green mist out. I did that when I was like, I think I was maybe eight, nine years old. That's about the most I've ever done for Halloween. I was just kind of hung out in the neighborhood. I always made sure to find out which house was the ones that the people were leaving early. So they would just leave their candy out front, and you would just go there and pull the whole bucket into your bag, and then run home real quick and leave everybody else empty-handed. I love about the extent of my Halloween. Halloween's is a, a, the one holiday, I guess you could call it. I never really got into it. It's weird to think I would love it because of the candy, but 
If Owen's been kind of falling in the distant third, fourth, or even fifth amongst holidays in my day, you on the other hand seem like the type of guy who used to dress up a lot. Oh, what, what does that mean? Oh, 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 because you seem like a Halloween guy. You like to go out and kind of be, you're more social than I am. You've got more friends than I do. <laughs> you're the one that I, I can see you to make it costumes to the green. Wow, oh, well, don't, don't feel bad. You did a good job upgrading it. Uh, not, not that sweet Halloween Halloween costume. When I was younger, I was Peter Pan once. I know what you're thinking. Like Peter Pan. No, I'm yeah. Not. <laughs> <laughs> that one I